Let me ask that you turn your Bibles to John chapter 21. We're continuing our series on the truth, looking at different subjects as given to us in the Bible, the truth about the Bible itself, our source, why we're coming from the Bible, and then the truth about God the Father, then God the Son, God the Spirit, the truth about the Trinity, uh, truth about mankind. We looked last two weeks at the truth about salvation. And now, uh, looking at the church, the truth about the church. And uh, I think this is a great Sunday to do this as we're going to be celebrating communion together. Uh, and so we're going to be able to practice some of what Jesus has taught us as churches to do specifically. Uh, but then also, um, well, I have probably 10 minutes. Uh, so this is going to be a two-parter, two-parter for sure, uh, as we uh, look at the truth uh, about the church uh, together. Uh, and as we look at this, perhaps we might be addressing one of the harder things for our society to believe in. To believe in. Uh, interesting enough, a part of the Apostles' Creed is we believe in what was called the Catholic Church, which was a terminology used before there was Roman Catholicism, before those denominations. It was a say, way of saying the genuine church. Uh, but how many of us in our society would say, yeah, we believe in the church? Uh, G.K. Chesterton uh, famously said that the mightiest or most powerful argument against the truth of Christianity is the Christian. Um, and in a lot of ways, we can fill that. All right. In our society, many people say, well, you know, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not a religious person, I, which sometimes means to say I believe in God, I just don't want anything to do with the church. Um, Anne Rice, uh, who was the one who wrote many of the vampire novels, uh, became a believer a number of years ago from her atheism, uh, and she was um, dealing with uh, family members that were homosexuals and others, and so there's a lot of reasons why she did not want to become a Christian, um, but the, when she encountered the historicity or the, the uh, historical aspects of Jesus Christ, and specifically the resurrection, she came to the conclusion, there is a God, and he's through Jesus, and so I will acknowledge this and surrender to this. And, and then a few years later after that, uh, she came out with the statement that for the sake of Christ, she renounces the Catholic Church. Uh, interesting enough, what she was saying is, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm just not so sure about this church thing, uh, especially as she experienced it uh, through the Catholic, Catholic Church. So uh, I, I present to you something that's uh, somewhat difficult for us. And I, I want to share with you what Scripture has to say and, and how it should be, how the church should be, uh, what's the basic aspect of this. And I think it's really good for us to... Um, Look at what the minimal definition of a church is, according to Scripture. Uh, and I would just present to you a minimal definition of the church is a group of people recognizing their need for Jesus, committed to Jesus Christ as a person and his teachings, so seeking to obey his teachings, seeking to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave this group, self-aware that there is a church, they are the church, practicing the ordinances, that being communion and baptism, and recognizing the leadership 
of spiritual leaders in that church. In other words, if we were in the county of Puga County, working with Nosu people in East Asia, we would look for these qualities for them to be categorized as a church. We're not looking for a building, not looking for uh, necessarily necessary cooperative giving, uh, though that will be part of what they do. But we look for these basic definitions uh, for what a church is, and, and not necessarily, okay, they have a building, or they're meeting at uh, Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, 11.30. It's just a little bit more rudimentary, but I think there's a lot of, uh, well, we get to the heart of it, if we get to what's the basic definition. And so I want to present to you John chapter 21, uh, looking at this chapter, and we're going to fly through this. We'll look at this more details later on, Lord willing, next Sunday. Um, but what is presented here, what many scholars, as they read John 21 and see what happens, this is post-resurrection, uh, Jesus with the disciples, and you get a picture of the church uh, and what they're doing with Jesus and what Jesus is as, commanding them to do. And so I'm going to ask that we read this together. If you'll read silently as I read aloud to you, John 21. I may not get to talk much, but at least we'll read the scripture together. Uh, So let's stand as we read John 21. And after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. But as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with Jesus, with fish laid out on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon and Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And all there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And that was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my sheep. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this saying, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciples whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had been reclined at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written. I suppose the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. You may be seated. So, in looking at this passage and how it speaks to the church, there's just three phrases in here that I want to look at and see how our church can fit into this, what Jesus is presenting to these men, who at the beginning of the story, Jesus isn't with them. In fact, they don't even recognize him. As a picture of doing the mission when Jesus is not bodily with them, as we are today. And so, there's three things. Jesus says, cast the net. Cast the net. And then he says to them uh, later on, follow me. Stretch out your net and uh, stretch out your hands and follow me. We're going to look at, at that phrase. And, and as we look at this and see, what does this have to do with Jesus with us as a church? So first of all, here's these group of men, and you've got this interesting encounter that is kind of a repeat, a repeat. In fact, if you read in Luke chapter 5, you're going to see that when Jesus is calling the disciples, when he's meeting Peter and, and James and John and some of these men that are fishermen, we have almost the exact same story that happens. So Peter's first memory is Jesus getting in the boat with them. They're going out. They hadn't caught a thing. And Jesus saying to them, cast your net out on this side. And when they do, though they've been fishing all night, they catch so much that they cannot even to bear it. And so why is this story happening the way it is? I think that Jesus is, is choosing something to remind Peter from the very beginning how he called him into this work. Now what it's going to look like now. What's interesting to note are the differences between the story of Luke chapter 5 and John 21. First obvious difference, Jesus was in the boat with them in Luke 5. John 21, Jesus is no longer in the boat. He is somewhere else. That is how we are today. Jesus is no longer presently with us, but the work goes on. In Luke 5, when they cast the net and gather the fish, Jesus says to Peter, in your past, you have caught fish. From this point on, you're going to be a fisher of men. And so he uses the fishing metaphor to say this is what we do today. As a church today, our job still is very much the same. We are to cast the nets, to fish 
for men. I said to you that some of the basic definition of what a church is, is they follow the mandate of Jesus Christ. A church, a group of people, though they know Jesus Christ, they teach the scriptures, they may have a church building, they may practice the ordinances of communion and baptism, they may have the name of church, but if they do not fulfill the mandate that Jesus gave his body, they're not the church. There are many charades. And if we're not careful as a church, we can do the same thing. If we're not casting the nets of making fishers of men, are bringing people into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean? Uh, it's not just to cast the net and, and to catch the fish and say, see, here's my fish. But it's actually when you bring the nets in, it's this, this picture of this fish that used to be in the sea now is in a totally different realm. All right? Totally different realm. Uh, in Colossians, it, he describes uh, what it is to be a Christian. In Colossians chapter 1, he's talking about Jesus Christ. And how he, uh, we thank God because he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light through Jesus Christ. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And we have in him been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his Son. So that's what it is now to be a Christian, to go from a different realm of how we once walked. We once walked according to this world, and we had different influences, different drives in our life. In Colossians 3, he, he kind of fleshes that out a little bit. What does it mean to be transferred into the kingdom of this beloved son? If we're in Christ, we're no longer in the world, which means we put away things of this world sexual immorality impurity passion evil desires covetousness which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of god is coming but you must put them all away anger wrath malice uh, slandering abusing one another not lying to one another and so this is, uh, what he's saying is it's fleshing out. This is what it looks like to be different. And so as a church, it is to say that we are a society now that has Christ at rule, but yet we live in a different world. You see, Green Pines Baptist, what we're to be, is an alternate town. What's the town we live in for most of us? Nightdale. That's what this church claims, right? That's, that's what the address says, okay? Nightdale, we could say Raleigh, East Raleigh, so it doesn't really matter. This region. And so what are, what are the qualities of Nightdale? What are the characteristics of Nightdale? If you were to describe the group of people, what might you say? How should Green Pines be different from that? You see, when folks from Nightdale and Raleigh get around us, they should see an alternate form of Nightdale. This is Nightdale where Christ rules. How we interact with one another is an, an evangelistic tool. I, I love the fact that we've had some folks join uh, not too long, this, this past year. 
And one of the things that both of them share with me, these, these are uh, folks that live in the Barclay Downs area, and we've got some of our members that live in the Barclay Downs area, is that they came across some of our members, and they saw how they treated one another. We have uh, one lady, she was sharing with me, you know, that, I, that she had been a Christian, but she had not been in church for 24 years. But when she saw her mother being treated differently, uh, being loved by believers, she realized, I don't have that. I know, I know what it is to have a spiritual life. I know what it is to worship God, but I don't have that. You see, the community witness is itself an evangelistic witness. When we can show a different realm of living where Jesus is king. So casting our nets is to, to say simply, we are to be fishers of men, to bring them alongside. And what I love about that is though Jesus is not in the boat, the power of his word still has effect. Where Jesus says to them from the shore, cast your net on the other side. You see, his words is not limited by the fact that his presence is there or not there. There's power in his words. And he, Jesus knew that if I said it, it's going to happen. So what does that mean for us today? We live and we have our basis. Our only hope that we can exist as a church is that we trust in the basis of God's words, his promises. When he said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. All authority has been granted to me. Go, therefore, and do this. With the basis of his promise is how we operate still today. Just like when they cast the nets and the, it was filled. All right, so we keep on reading. Uh, and... They have this great feast. And, and part of what we have as a church is a feasting with Christ. He says, Jesus, when he was with the disciples, he says, it was it's amazing how many times in the resurrection, post-resurrection, it was done sitting down. Let's eat together. Let's, let's just eat together. And so here they, they do the same. And so when we have communion, it is very much the same idea of Jesus extending to us a fellowship where he is the center of our basis for fellowship. And so he says, I want you, when you eat this bread, remember what I've done. Remember my body, which is given for you. When you drink this cup, remember my blood, which is shed for you. It is very much a, a shadow. And I'm going to assure you, what we do today is a small shadow, very small <laughs> taste of things to come. Don't think of heaven as one long communion like we know it. I, I think it's going to be much more of a satisfying uh, time together uh, as far as the substance goes. Uh, and, and so here's this picture of this feast. And so they, they have a breakfast together, feasting off of what God is doing. And then he, it's interesting what he says as we go on. He says, Simon, Simon, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. That's the second phrase, feed my lambs. If we're to be as a church today, just like he was teaching Peter, there's going to be a feeding of the lambs. Um, there is a friendship here that Jesus has established with Peter and John and James and the other men who were hard to get along with sometimes, but Jesus became a true friend to them. And you notice how, he's, how he introduced himself he said, children, do you have any fish? You might have a, a different translation saying friends. But it's, it's the idea when you, you know, you just don't call anybody children. This is a, a colloquial phrase of, of intimacy. 
here's this guy out on the shore giving this phrasing that implies a relationship. Uh, today, we wouldn't necessarily call each other children. Uh, depending on your generation, you might say, hey, buddy. Um, you know, if you're uh, younger, you say, my peeps. <clears throat> These are my, hey, peeps, you know. Um, and then there's even worse ones like boo. Um, but these are the little colloquial phrases. If you have no idea what you're talking about, let's let you know you're not in that generation. Uh, but we all have our phrasing of, these are my friends. Here's Jesus putting out this very intimate, my children, phrasing, and, and calling them to himself. And then he says to Simon specifically, you love me more than these. Now, Mark 14 is where Peter's denying Jesus three times. So he has failed Jesus three times. And what are, what's interesting in Mark 14, rather, is that prior to that, he, Peter, hears what Jesus is foreshadowing, that everybody's going to betray him. And Peter says, if all of these fail you, I will not. So Peter has got this idea where he is constantly evaluating the people around himself and trying to see who's better. That's his mode of operating. He's doing that in Mark 14. He has a standard of which he's judging everybody and he's saying, you know, I'm better than him. He may not be better than me or he may be better than me. In fact, in uh, we see this encounter in Luke 5 when this first happens, this, this Jesus doing this miracle in the boat. Interesting how Peter reacts to Jesus. When he sees what Jesus does and has the power, Peter says to Jesus, we need to part ways, essentially. You need to get away from me. I am not worthy to be with you. You see, he's got this judging going on. And he realizes this guy is so much greater than him. And he doesn't feel good by being around him. He feels terrible. And he says, just get away from me. Interesting the reaction here, isn't it? In John 21. What does Peter do now? When he realizes it's Jesus? Totally different reaction. Scripture says he gets his cloak on for whatever reason. And then goes swimming. Because he doesn't want to wait for the boat to get there. He's running, swimming to Jesus. What's going on here? This is before Jesus has this phrase of, Peter, do you love me? You see, in Luke 5, he was judging everyone. And he never could have this intimacy because of it. But in the times of Jesus, he encountered someone who was so wonderful, who was so much greater than him, but yet loved him, that instead of sending him away, he gravitated toward Jesus, was swimming, even though it had the possibility that Jesus might bring up some painful memories. He still went. And then he says to Simon, do you love me more than these than feed my Sheep, or tend my sheep. Does it three times, obviously, to connect with the three times of failures uh, in Simon's life, but he does it in front of everyone this time. He's, everyone's seeing this and encountering this. And there's a lot to be said here that I won't do now. 
But just notice the connection. You love me more than these. Feed my lambs. Repeated three times. When he says, do you love me, he's bringing up the failure of Peter. What does failures Peter, uh, failure of Peter and his love of Jesus have to do with feeding sheep? You notice the connection? Jesus is making the connection. You failed me, Peter. Do you love me? Do you even like me? Then feed my sheep. What on earth would the leader, the new leader, he's, he's endorsing him. You're going to lead. You're going to feed. What does that have to do with his failure? You see, in a church, leaders who are best leaders in church are those who know their failures. Who know their failures, and in their failure, they don't continue to go in despair as you want to do, or to have a sense of hierarchy as is the other extreme. Oh, these folks, they're not as good as me, Jesus. But one who knows failure, but yet knows the grace of God, they're drawn to Jesus. And the failure only drives them closer to Jesus. Do you realize how sinful you are? Those who are best leaders are the ones who know pretty well how messed up they really are in their heart. But they know that Jesus still loves them. And that's what you see here in Peter. I've messed up, Jesus. I get it. I get it. I get it. He said, you know, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Peter says, okay. You humbly love me. You know the grace. Feed others. Whose sheep is he feeding? God's sheep. God's sheep. You see, what's interesting is that you got people around you uh, that you didn't ask for. <laughs> Have you noticed that? When you're in a church or when you're in a family, you got people that you might not normally hang out with. And that's a really good thing. A lot of times how we operate is judged not by who's, who are our friends, but what is our selection process and having a friend. What are the questions we ask ourselves about that person before we decide they'll be our friend? What, what are your questions? Do you know what your questions are before you decide they'll be your friend? Maybe how they look. Maybe their age. Maybe how they're dressed. Maybe their interests. Maybe their personality. The thing about this is that when we're feeding as a church, we're feeding and nourishing each other with the Word of God and our, and our friendship, we don't get to choose who's going to be the Lamb. When you follow Jesus, choosing your friends comes to an end. And God chooses them for you. Who are the people that keep coming to you? Who keep gravitating towards you? Who are the ones who are seeking you out? Chances are, they're probably not people you would not normally choose. And that's good. 
You see, the reason why we choose friends is because somehow they lift up our own esteem. They lift us up and we use them. But Peter has experienced someone who loves him, knowing him inside and out, and this one who loves him is incredible, magnificent, amazing. He's Jesus, and yet this one loves him. And when you know a love like that, you don't need to keep getting attention from lesser people. You follow what I'm saying? He says to Peter, feed my sheep. Listen, when folks come to this church, anytime you see a new face, you can pretty well bet the reason they're here, they need a friend. Did you know that? Every face here, one of the reasons you're here is you need a friend. There needs to be someone in their life that can be a voice of God, a voice of the Word of God in their life, and, and, and not just what I'm doing, but in the day-to-day. So let me ask you, church members, do you have real friends? Do you have real friends? I've heard, and I, I, I think this is, makes a lot of sense. If we want to build our kingdom the kingdom of God, then it's done by having friends. Ten real friends that are believers. Now here's the kicker. Ten friends who are not believers. Ten friends who are not believers. And in a friendliness to everyone. I think too many times as a church we just settle for friendliness. But people aren't just looking for friendliness. They're looking for friends. And so I just want to challenge us a little bit of what this means to feed the sheep. It certainly means a friendship that Jesus was endorsing. That he himself practiced with the disciples and encouraged them to do the same. But then the last one, finally, as he talks to Peter and has this discourse to him. He said, look, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and follow and walk wherever you wanted to. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. After saying this, he said to them, follow me. And then repeated, Peter says, well, what about John over here? Don't worry about John. I've got my own plan for John. I want you to be focused on just following me. Look around. You know what the beautiful thing is? Every person here, God has a plan for them. He has a course that he's got for them. Every person you meet, God has a course for them. But don't be so focused on their course. Your focus is, Jesus, what do you want for me? Stretch out our hands and follow him. What I love about that is that Jesus, I don't know if he used any Hand gestures like a lot of us tend to do. But if he says to him, stretch out your hands and follow me, then it is undeniable. It is so obvious that as Jesus might be using his hands as he says to him, I mean, it's kind of hard to say stretch out your hands without using your hands. Stretch out your hands and he sees the hands of Jesus. And he realizes he's not asking me to do anything that he himself has not already done for me. Stretch out my hand. This, this Jesus 
This one who has resurrected, who has just once again caused fish to appear into my net. This one who's got so much power, so magnificent. He is God in flesh as Thomas himself just declared, you are my God. What does he think of me? As he sees the hands of Jesus stretched out, Jesus is ultimately vulnerable for Peter. Laid out for him. Loved him. So church, the instructions are still the same. Green pines. How can we stretch out our hands? Die to yourself and follow Jesus Christ as we cast our nets, as we feed the sheep. There's so much more I want to say about this. And we'll just wait until the Lord allows us next Sunday to do that. But as we celebrate communion and think about the body shed for us, the, uh, the blood shed for us, the blood, body given for us, know that Jesus is asking us as believers in Jesus Christ that live in Nightdale to create a community where we're feeding not people of our own choosing, but people that God has given to us and be a friend to them. Show them what it looks like to live in this new domain of Jesus as our King as we're casting those nets. And just as Jesus has loved us and stretched out his hands for us, let's stretch out our hands to reach someone else and share with them about Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things I, I'm just going to bring out about our, our preschool, what I love about it is it's creating a little bit of a, of a community. We've got young mothers coming in. They're all harried, worn out, tired, and they're just like, please take my child. <laughs> I'm going to go to the grocery store, you know. But when our church works and serves in that way and doing it together, it can create a community. Not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. There's a lot of problems that happens because they're humans. But there's a commitment to try to say, let's figure this out. What does it mean to have a kindness? What does it mean to have a compassion? What does it mean to do this? And the preschool isn't just the only thing. How we have our small groups. How we do children's ministry. How we do our seniors ministry in the cornerstones. Let's just bring it to ourselves to say, how do we do this? How do we love one another that becomes attractive for others? The heart of it is following Jesus. And we love this so much that we want to see this duplicated out in places that don't know church. and don't have experience of church, like Puga County. So that's why we're going to have a time of prayer as we send out a team. This week they go, Wednesday they go. So before we do that, let's bring it to Jesus. I'm going to ask her, uh, that, we, that we stand together. As we worship, I'm going to do a hymn of invitation first. If, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask that uh, you consider this Jesus who's loved you. Perhaps maybe you don't have a church body. I present to you that God did not intend for you to do this on your own. There's a lot of things that you have to learn through one another. Jesus has given to us. If you do not know this church, or a church as your church home, I challenge you 
to make a commitment to Christ through this church.